So a lot of you know we made the jump from uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John into Acts. And Acts is my, I said that last week, my second favorite book of the Bible. Like, I love Acts. Acts is, is it's Luke part two. Uh, the same dude who wrote Luke wrote Acts. Uh, he, he ran out of cool names when he used Luke, so he just went to Acts. But Acts is, is, the, is the continuation of where he left off in Luke. So the assumption is, Luke's assumption is that the reader of Acts has also read Luke. And so Acts is about the beginning of the church. Uh, it's written basically like 30 years after the resurrection of Christ. And so uh, Luke was a guy who had firsthand knowledge of what had happened. He interviewed the people. He knew what was going on. Luke traveled with some of the guys who knew Jesus. And so Acts, if you want to know what the church is supposed to be, go back and read what the church was designed to be. Acts gives us the blueprint for what this should be. Acts, Acts is the, the guide. It's, it's the map. It's, it's here is what we should be becoming. Here's what we should be. This is where we're headed. Acts shows you what church is. Acts shows you who church is. All right. And so let, let me, before we get to today's uh, point, let me just do a little catch up here. You may remember Jesus had a crew of about 12 dudes, exactly 12 dudes, who followed him. And there was a bigger crowd, but within that big crowd, there was a small crowd of his inner circle that was about 12, and 11 of them were pretty solid. And so Jesus hung out with these guys, did cool things. He died on the cross, and when he died on the cross, his 11 followers, they ran and hid, right? Well, Jesus comes back to life. He resurrects. They went to the grave and they found nobody. The one thing nobody expected, nobody. And that's what they found, right? And so there was nobody in the grave. And so Jesus is back and he's alive. And, and it says that a resurrected Jesus, this is a Jesus back from the dead. He walks around with his boys for about 40 days and he's talking to them about the kingdom of God. And they're listening because when someone dies and comes back to life, you listen. And so they're listening to what he has to say. And it's actually a really cool, I don't remember, this is a... Um, it's either in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You can Google it. But when Jesus comes back, right, the very, one of the very first things he does is his boys are out fishing. And this is a resurrected Jesus Christ walking around. He can do anything. And, and he goes to the beach and he grills. Like he fired up. He had a big green egg. And he... he <laughs> He had a really, because he's, he's Jesus. And so he fired that thing up. It was, his was gold, though. And he fired it up. But he really, he grilled on the shore of the lake. How cool is that? The very first thing a resurrected Jesus does is cook some fish for his boys. And he hollers at him. He's like, y'all doing any good? And he knows they're not because he's God. And then he feeds them. Anywho, that's nothing to do with today, but it's cool. And so, so Jesus walks around with his guys for 40 days, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then he has a conversation with them one day and he's like, all right, listen, because they're excited now. Like they're walking with a resurrected, they're like, we wanna go. We're ready to tell people, we're not scared anymore. Jesus says, you're not ready yet because what I'm gonna have you do, you can't do on your own. Jesus says, you're gonna be my witnesses in Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria, which is like where they killed me in your hometown and the ends of the earth. You are gonna be my witnesses, but not until you receive my Holy Spirit. He said, do you remember we talked about the Holy Spirit? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And Jesus said, all right, listen, you go back to Jerusalem, my boys, my 11, you go back to Jerusalem and you wait in a room. And when I send my spirit, then you'll be ready. And they're like, well, how will we know? 
Will there be some sort of sign? Like, how are we going to know when your spirit arrives? Are you going to be like, Holy Spirit? I mean, how are we going to know? Will there be some sort of signal? And Jesus goes, you'll know. And like, are you sure? You'll know. And they're like, what time will he arrive? What time will the Holy Spirit be there? And Jesus goes, he audibly sighed. That's not in there, but I feel it. And he said, only God knows. He says, I don't even, he said, God knows. He said, don't worry about it. Just go back to that room and you wait. And I promise you, when my Holy Spirit shows up, you will know it. And so today, we're celebrating a day known as Pentecost. I like that because I enunciate it. Pentecost. And we think, a lot of us think Pentecost is the day the Holy Spirit arrived. It's not. Pentecost was a Jewish celebration. It meant Pentecost means 50 days after. And so it's 50 days after Passover. That's what Pentecost means. But on that day, which is actually June 9th, which is today, I think. So we're celebrating that now. And so on that day, the guys are back in a little room together. And this happens in Acts chapter 2. It says this. When the day of Pentecost came. They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And one of them looked around and said, you think this is the sign? <laughs> like, yeah, that's it. Tongues of fire descend on these dudes' heads, and they walk out in. So there's Jews from all over the, the, the ancient world because they're there for the Feast of Pentecost, right? And they don't all speak the same language. And all of a sudden, these disciples, they go out, and they're speaking languages that they've never spoken. Everyone can understand them. They're speaking languages that everyone gets. And somebody in the crowd goes, man, those guys are drunk. And one of them says, it's 9 in the morning. We're not drunk yet, which I think is funny. <laughs> But so that's what's going on in the midst of this. And they begin to preach the word of God with this boldness. Like they are out there now and they are not afraid. They're talking about God and, and they're like, man, you remember that Jesus? You remember the Jesus that you crucified? He's alive and we've seen him. We've seen him. We, we know he's alive. And then this happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It says this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and, your, for, and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 of them were added to their number on that day. Wow. Church broke out. All right, so, so, so they're in there and they're preaching the word and they're like, oh man, Jesus Christ, repent and be baptized. And the people are like, okay. And so, so they begin to do it. And on that day, 3,000 men, they would have only counted the men, 3,000 were added to their number. So now you've got this big group of people. They're full of the Holy Spirit and they're excited and they're energized and they've repented and they've been baptized and they can't just go back home. Like they can't just go back to life as it always was before. And so these disciples, under the inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit, put together the church. 
this collective body of believers, united in their contrast, empowered by the Holy Spirit of the living God, designed to set out and be different. And in verse 42, we find exactly what the church was designed to look like. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. Amen. They got together, and they got devoted. Just for fun, let's see that definition of the word devoted today. Devoted. D-vot-ed. Adjective. Devoted. Very loving or loyal. He was a devoted husband. Synonyms, because I know y'all like synonyms from last week. I had a lot of you guys email me and thank me for that. Synonyms. Loyal, faithful, true, true blue, staunch, steadfast, constant, committed, dedicated, devout, more fond, loving, admiring, affectionate, caring, attentive, warm, ardent, devoted. Devoted means something. Devoted. These guys devoted themselves to some. They didn't just kind of flippantly do it when they had extra time. It wasn't a side issue if they had, you know, a, a, a free schedule or a couple of extra dollars or whatever. They devoted themselves. All of those things they devoted. And we see some very specific areas where they devoted themselves. In verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. And many, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Every person. Uh, it says they devoted themselves. I need you guys to hear that. Because it didn't say some, some pastor forced devotion on them. It didn't say the church devoted. It said they devoted. They were individuals, free will individuals, devoted themselves. And there was a collective devotion by a room full of free. They devoted themselves. So I just want to spend a few minutes reminding the church what the church is supposed to be devoted to. First, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Do you guys know they didn't have the Bible like we have it now, right? They had the, they had the, the apostles. Um, we've got access to the apostles 24-7. Like, you've got access to Matthew, Mark, Peter, John, Paul. You've got access to all these people 24 hours a day. They didn't have that. They had, they had teaching sessions with the apostles. You couldn't go into, into Peter's, you know, tent at 3 o'clock in the morning and be like, tell me more. He was like, I'm, I'm asleep. They didn't have that. We have access to the apostles' teaching 24-7. And this was a constant theme in the local church. These people devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, for the people who'd come to know Jesus Christ, for the people who were filled by the Holy Spirit, there was something inside of them that wanted this. Listen to what it says in, in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, it says, Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Y'all ever had a baby? 
Anyone ever had? Surely somebody did. You ever had a baby? Don't give them milk for like three days. No, I don't do that. It's a terrible idea. But like, if you didn't give them milk, they'd go nuts. Like, you must give a baby milk. They want milk, and then they don't get mad. They scream and grow. Like, there's something, and you don't have to teach a baby to want milk, right? When they're, when they're born, they want milk. They're like, I'm getting it somewhere. You know, there, there's, there's milk. <laughs> and so, <laughs> that's what they say. You don't have to teach them. For us, there should be something in us that wants this, like something inside of us that craves this. And sometimes you have to work to crave it, right? But you have other cravings that you worked to create, right? Most of them aren't all that good probably. But the Bible is a, is a craving that we work to create as we grow in Christ and as we train ourselves. We take all of our thoughts captive and we train ourselves to read this and to be in this. This becomes part of your life, like working out or running or something. It becomes something that you feel empty without. He says, I want you to devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching. And if you are not doing that, you are missing out on part of what this thing was designed to do. A lot of people are devoted to, a, not at this church, but other churches, a lot of people are devoted to occasionally coming in here and hearing what I've devoted myself to learning. That's not enough for you. You're not devoted to twice a month listening to someone else. What that, matter, I, I've, one Sunday I'm going to come in here and lie about everything. Just see if anybody catches me. I mean... I'm not, but I've thought about it. Like, just because I want to know that I couldn't tell you anything and you would believe it. People like me should be checked by people like you. Like, you should be reading it yourself. Like, every now and then I get an email from someone who's wrong about some argument with me in theology. <laughs> but I appreciate that they sent it, you know. I mean, I appreciate their willingness to be wrong in front of me. And so if, if you have some... It's okay. This was never meant to be interpreted by one sacred band in one sacred space and then regurgitated to a room full of people. Like, this is yours. This is the breath of God for you, right? Breathe it. Learn it. Read it. Paul, at one point, and this Paul said this, not me. Paul looked at his congregation, Paul from the Bible, and he said, you should be teachers by now. He said, you've been sitting here a long time. He said, some of you have been here one year, three years, five years. You should be teaching by now, not just coming in and feeding. You should be teaching. And it doesn't mean you should be preaching sermons. That's, that's not for everybody. But it does mean you should know enough to teach somebody. Like, do you know enough to teach your kids the Bible? Do you know enough to tell the stories? If the only three Bible verses that you know are this two will pass, spare the rod, spoil the child, and God will never put more on you than you can handle, then you do not have a good theology because none of those are Bible verses. All right? Like we've got to learn this thing so that we can share this thing, so that we can teach other people. What if there's a day when these are removed from us? Do you have enough in here to survive? I pray to God it's written on my heart. Take it. Take it. And I'll still, I'll still tell the story because I know it. Because I'm devoted to it. Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? Because if you're not seeing signs and wonders it may be that your devotion is misplaced. Next thing it says is they devoted themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. I love this one. And when I first read this uh, years ago, I thought that this was two different things. Like I thought this was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, 
to fellowship, to the breaking of bread as in communion and to prayer. But I, I, I now believe that this is one thing. This isn't talking about the communion feast. It's talking about the love feast. It's talking about a dinner at your table. Uh, so we're going to talk about fellowship and breaking of bread as one thing. Are you devoted to fellowship? These guys were devoted to fellowship. It wasn't super easy for them to get together. I mean, there, there was many, many times when you were killed for gathering together, yet they devoted themselves to it. And like, all right, do you know what the number one complaint I hear in church is? And it's the number one complaint any pastor hears in a church over eight people. It's this. You didn't speak to me on Sunday, Pastor. It's the number one complaint I hear. And, and I just, I just want to say this. If your mindset is to come in here and get upset if I didn't speak to you, then you're not devoted to fellowship. Because to devote yourself to fellowship is not to come in and worry about who's talking to you. It's to come in and worry about who you can talk to. It's to come in thinking, who can I find? Who's next? Like, who can I look for? Who looks left out? Who looks lost? Who, who doesn't seem to know where the kids are? Who, who's, who's dancing around because I don't know where the bathroom is? Like, who can I find and help? Who can I create fellowship with? Not just come in and, and have people fellowship me, but like, who can I create fellowship? Because the disciples, because they all shared what they had, no one had a need. And when everyone is looking to fellowship everyone else, it gets real fellowshipy in here. Right? Those are both words. <laughs> Acts 4.32, check this out. This is really good. Acts 4.32 says this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Wow. Shared. Do you guys know where in my life I experienced this the most before I came here? Just mom earmuff for just a second. Uh, I experienced this the most with my pothead friends in college. Some of you are nodding your heads because you know. Um, in that community, I felt welcomed. I felt wanted. If I had less, someone else brought more. If I had more, there was an expectation to share it. If you had two Twinkies and I had no Twinkies, you gave me a Twinkie. Right there, there was this collective lack of focus. <laughs> a collective lack of vision. There was a unity in whatever we were doing. I mean, my, group, my group wasn't the same. My group was incredibly diverse. There was black people, white people, uh, people of different orientations. Yet we came together, and within our, within our differences, we created this unity. Hear me on this. This must be better than that. This must be better than that. I understand why so many people get caught in that life because until this becomes a more compelling option than that, we have missed the mark severely. Like we have missed it. And I, and I realized as I was writing this message, part of what made that powerful for me was that I came in and contributed to it. I didn't just come in there and stand and wait for somebody to, you know, whatever. I came in there and contributed in my way. Like, just coming in and standing there, does this work in any other aspect? Is that how you met your wife? Did you walk into a bar and just stand there? Some hot girl walked across and was like, I want you. If that happened, to God be the glory. That was not my experience, okay? <laughs> Guys like me gotta put in a little more work. But like, if that's what happened to you, amen. Not me. Not, not some of y'all, no. That's, that's not what happened, right? 
Like we put in effort in things to build relationships. Is that what you do at your work? Do you just go in there and stand? Or do you go in and create community? Like we could make this, and we, guys, we are doing it. Hear me, we're doing it. We could make this more compelling than that. We're united around something greater. I have experienced signs and wonders in this place that make any high I've ever had look absolutely ridiculously small. I've been united with a group of people around something real. This, this community, this fellowship should make that look like an illusion because that's what it was. It was an illusion of fellowship. This place must make that look like a joke. And until we do that, we're not fully devoted. We must devote ourselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Like I love that idea of breaking of bread. Isn't there something special that happens in your home when you gather around a table and you break bread? I mean, with some of my best friends, some of our best time is spent together around a table and we're breaking bread together and we're laughing and we're sharing stories and there's something. And this is what he's saying, man, fellowship and break bread together. I am convinced that in the next 25 years, the greatest growth we will see in churches will not be churches with 57 big buildings. It will be churches that focus on growing together in homes, which is what they were doing in Acts. They met together in the temple court like this. A bunch of people came together. Then they went into homes and they broke bread and that becomes your church. Those are your people. That's, that's your group. And you pastor each other and you all use the fullness of your Holy Spirit, God-given gifts with each other. And that's how church grows. We're collectively devoted to this, but we should be individually devoted to using our home as a tool to win people for the kingdom of God. People say, well, when's your next campus? And I say, I think we've got like 622 of them right now. Most of you got a home. Use it. Doesn't have to be fancy. Doesn't have to be perfect. If you can't cook, call Lydia Harriman. She'll cook for you. <laughs> Sherry Wilcox will make you a pie. She will. Devote yourselves to fellowship. Let's make this look far better than that. Amen. They devoted themselves to prayer. I love this one, man. They devoted themselves to prayer. Um, on a given Sunday, there's around 800 people in this house total. There's around 600 adults, around 200 kids, give or take. Thank you, God. Uh, there, there's, there's a good crew of people here. Do you know the largest attendance we've ever had for a prayer and worship gathering was just south of 100? Just south of 100 people. This is the largest attendance we ever had for a, for a prayer gathering. I'm willing to bet that in most churches in America, if I was to post on Facebook Friday night, there will be no sermon Sunday and there will be no music. We're just going to come and sit and silently pray that attendance would tank in, in most churches. We must devote ourselves to prayer. He didn't give us a big list of things. He gave us a few and when the Holy Spirit speaks to the apostles and they give us this, this is something we should listen to. Are you devoted to prayer? Are you devoted to believing that God can do something incredible through prayer? 
Because in this early church, they were devoted to it. I'm not talking just get together and mutter words with no meaning. I'm talking about prayers with power. Like these guys would pray, God, make me bold. God, make me fearless. God, forgive me. God, unleash me on the world. They were like, I mean, they're like tigers going, let me go. Fill me, bring me, let's do this. They were so full of the spirit and so bold in their prayer. If your prayer has no power, it's because you're praying prayers without power. Like put some power in that thing. God, come on. You are mine. Your, your blood is in my veins. I'm your son. Give me. I want. I want for you. I want to die for you and live for you, for your glory. I'm everything. Pray with power. And watch what God begins to do. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, I love this verse. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are committed to him. Imagine this. God is ranging, just looking throughout the earth. And he's looking for the one, for the place where the people are devoted and committed to him. You know how you know when someone's devoted and committed to you, they talk to you a lot. He's like, where's the place where they're praying with power? Where's the place where they're praying as people who believe? Because that's the place where I will strength. I will bring my strength into that house. I will strengthen those people. He's looking for a people who would devote themselves to prayer. Acts 4.31 it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. I've read this verse so many times, and I've even asked God to like, let this happen. Doesn't that seem a little far-fetched? Like the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they spoke the word of God boldly. I mean, it sounds almost a little bit Pentecostal, right? The Holy Spirit's in the room. The place is shaking. Let me ask you this. How many of you came to the last prayer and worship service we did and we were, we were geared? Just raise your hand for me. Do you believe that verse is true based on what you saw? I've seen a house shaken. And if you weren't there, I suggest you come to the next one. Because when a group of spirit-filled Christians unite together, and they begin to pray like no one's watching. And they don't care what people think. And they just come in and they, and they, just, they just lay it all out for God. This building was shaken. So was yours, wasn't it? We've seen signs and wonders. We've seen what God will do when the people devote themselves. Acts 2.44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possession to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved, not those who were being entertained, those who were being saved. Keep that one up there before we give it. It says praising God and enjoying. You see that word? It's about three lines up from the bottom. Enjoying the favor. One line above that, it says, glad and sincere. That is what church is like for you when you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to fellowship. When you have devoted yourselves, this becomes a place where you experience great joy. This becomes a place where you experience revelation. And it becomes a place where you bring your gifts and combine them with other people's gifts. And it doesn't end here. It becomes this and in homes. When people are devoted, joy is the result. Like, too many people go dragging out of church. Wait, 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 that wasn't any good. I didn't get anything. You're not devoted. 
Devoted people, there's nothing I could do to mess up a Sunday for someone who's devoted. You, you leave going, man, that was amazing. And someone's like, we hadn't even had church yet. And you're like, I don't care. It was amazing because you were devoted when you walked in and you're devoted while you're here and you're devoted when you walk out. And when we become that, the walls in this room will shake. The stones around your heart will shake. The dust that our feet have collected while we sat will shake and we will go and we will change the world. Are you devoted? Let me just talk to the people who've been here over a year. Are you devoted? If not, why is that okay? Why is that okay? In what translation of the Bible is that okay? Devoted. Guys, we have no interest, and we, we share that. I believe, I believe our hearts are united in this. None of us are devoted to building a big church full of people who don't know Jesus. Our hearts are united in this, right? Then devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to prayer, and watch what God does with a room full of people who are fully devoted. Amen.